0: Uh, Today's Bible passage is from John chapter 2, verse 23, to chapter 3, verse 21, which you'll find in page 11 of the booklets. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thanks very much, Ollie, for reading and a very warm welcome to you. My name is Rob. I'm the minister here at St. Mary's. If um, this is your very first time, uh, a particular welcome to you. It's great to have you join us. Uh, and uh, it'd be a great help if you could keep that passage open as we're going to think a bit more about it. But before we do, uh, we've got a short video clip.
2: The Crips and a KKK, but if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate, and to discriminate only generates hate, and when you hate, then you're bound to get irate, yeah, madness is what you demonstrate, and that's exactly how anger works and operates, man, you gotta have love that's to set it straight, take control of your mind and meditate, let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all is what you
0: preach. And what you turn me on thy cheek? Father, father.
1: sorry to interrupt that. Um, so we were all enjoying that too much. Uh, but uh, that question that uh, runs right through that song, where is the love? I'm sure it's a question we all ask ourselves often as we open up the web page and we're greeted with images of bombed out Maripol. We think to ourselves, where's the compassion? Where's the love? Or as we see people take verbal chunks out of one another on Twitter, and we think to ourselves, why can't people treat each other better? Where is the love? Or as we experience the cold shoulder at work, or the betrayal of a friend, or the broken family, we think to ourselves, where is the love? The thing about that song, Where is the Love, it captures that feeling, doesn't it, that this world is not as it should be. In fact, it's angry as a song, rightly so, that actually these things are an intrusion on our world, that our world should be better than this. In fact, would you believe it? That song's nearly 20 years old. I know half the audience here probably don't even know what it's about or have ever heard about it before, but but it's 20 years old and we're 20 years on and actually it hasn't changed anything. It feels as relevant as it did back then. See, we ask that question, don't we? All of us do. Where is the love? Why can't our world be better? Why is it in the state it is? But in terms of answers, it never feels like we quite answer that question. We have hopes that the world has changed, that it's moved on, but then a global crisis or an invasion by another nation just evaporates our hopes. But the question is, could it be any different? What if there is an answer to that question, where's the love? Well, that's what our passage tonight focuses on. It shows us the reason our world is in the state it is. But it also gives us an answer of what or who, rather, can truly fix it. We're going to see in this passage, first of all, what the problem is, before looking at the solution, and then seeing the reason why this all takes place. We're going to see the problem, the solution, and then the reason. See, first of all then, the problem. What is the problem with our world? I mean, you ask lots of people, you'll get lots of different answers. Depending where you are on the political spectrum, you might think, well, it's because of social inequality and uh, greedy people. On the other end, you might think it's a lack of morals, a lack of old-fashioned values. But Jesus' answer gets much closer to home. So in this passage, we're eavesdropping on a conversation between Nicodemus uh, and Jesus. Now, Nicodemus is as close as you get to a first century superhero. He was like a religious superstar. Uh, he is uh, a Pharisee, we're told in verse 1, which was a strict religious order, uh, kind of like a monk, uh, one of the most devoted followers of God. And we're told in um, that little sentence, one you'll see it there on page 12, that He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's a cabinet minister. I mean, in terms of the social ladder, this guy was top of the pile. The sort of guy that would turn heads in the street. The sort of guy you would think is closer to God than anyone else. Yeah, look what Jesus says to him in verse three. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, kingdom of God there just means heaven, means the world to come. But what Jesus says to him, it's easy to miss this, but is incredibly offensive, or at least to Nicodemus. See, here we have an A-plus religious candidate, someone who's guaranteed to enter the kingdom of God. And yet, Jesus says to him, there's a problem. Verse 3, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. See, Jesus is saying to him, look, Nicodemus, when it comes to religious credentials or your leadership, that does not guarantee you a past into the kingdom of heaven. You need to be born again. Now, born again here, it doesn't kind of mean a special category of Christian. Sometimes you hear that phrase, you're born again Christian, as in like a you know high-speed Christian, or something like that. It doesn't mean that kind of idea. See, to be born again, just, um, you kind of get that meaning, what it means in um, verse 5, where Jesus answered. He uses a very similar answer, but he he kind of changes that phrase for something else. Uh, Have a look at sentence 5. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Now, that phrase, water and Spirit, it's like a hyperlink back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, in a prophet called Ezekiel, that phrase, water and spirit, comes up together. Now, Ezekiel is speaking to a time where the people are at rock bottom. The people find themselves invaded by another nation, they're driven out, and they're held captive in this other nation. And the people are asking themselves, what's gone wrong? Why are we here? Where's the love? And God gives this answer. When the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. See, the people are asking themselves, why is our world like this? And God's answer it's you. See, the problem is not out there. It's not that you've not done enough military spending. It's not that you've not had good enough uh, defense policies. The problem is with you and God. The problem is much closer to home. But in a wonderful turn of events, God makes an incredible promise. Uh, See, despite all they've done against God, he goes on to say this, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Notice the hyperlink here. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. The water and the spirit. God will change his people. Now notice the repeated phrase there. I will do it. I will do it, I will do it, I will wash you, I will give you a new spirit. See, God says the problem is so big, it's a problem you cannot solve yourselves, that only me stepping in, rolling up my sleeves and solving it will change your situation. See, the problem runs so deep that the people are completely helpless, other than God, acting and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should have got that. I mean, Nicodemus was teaching the Old Testament day in, day out. He should have got this very first lesson that actually people cannot save themselves. They need God to act. See, Nicodemus's problem isn't that he's pretty much okay, but he occasionally stuffs up. It's not that he's kind of 80% there and just needs a little top-up. See, his problem is that his heart is completely broken. It is turned away from its creator. See, so often we think, don't we, that our problem, our greatest problem is our horizontal. I mean, going back to that Black Eyed Peas song, they've got um, that, in the first verse, they say this, it's the, the USA, the big CIA, the Bloods and the Crips and the KKK. They're the problems, the horizontal things. Now, I'm not disputing that there's problems. I mean, we may want to nuance what he means by the USA there uh, as a problem. But yeah, I'm not denying that those things are problems. But actually, Jesus' answer is that actually the problem is much more than a horizontal one, it is a vertical one between us and our Creator. We sing, don't we? Where is the love? But God is in His rights to turn back to us and say, where is your love? Now, when I first looked at Christianity as an adult, um, I said last week that I didn't become a Christian until I was 21, and uh, I looked into these things at university, and when I first did, I found this deeply uncomfortable. There may be many people here tonight thinking to themselves, this sounds pretty harsh. I used to think that there were problems with the world, but I was so used to blaming others, people who would think differently than me, And I would gather around me a group of friends who would just agree with me all the time. But do you know what? As I looked at the Bible, this was the first place I felt was honest with me. To not say the problem's out there all the time, but the problem's in here. And to be honest, as hard as that was, I, if I was honest, found it to be true. Because as much as I heard about God... My response was not, wow, that's fantastic, how can I worship him? My response was, here's someone who threatens my autonomy. Here's someone who's a a rival to my ambition. And see, my heart was set against him. See, if that's the problem, and I realize that's a pretty serious problem, we might ask ourselves, well, what hope is there? Well, thankfully, Jesus goes on in his second part to show us not only the problem of our hearts, but also the solution. Because I don't know about you, you've probably got some sympathy, haven't you, with Nicodemus, because it's all very well Jesus saying you need to be born again, but you think to yourself, how do I do that? I mean, being born is not something that's easily uh, arrangeable, is it? Well, Jesus answers uh, with another hyperlink. Have a look at um, sentence 14 on page 13. Jesus says this to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. Now, this is another hyperlink, and it goes back to a very peculiar moment in Israel's history. Uh, Israel, at this point, um, are wandering around in the desert. They've came out of uh, slavery, and they're wandering around, And uh, things have gone wrong because their supplies have run out. They're down to the last kind of ham sandwich in the picnic. The water bottles are empty. And they start groaning against God. And here's what they say. They spoke against God and Moses and said, Why have you brought us out into Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. But then look what God does. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes against them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. I don't know if you saw um, David Attenborough's thing with the um, planet Earth 2, with the iguana and the snakes. If you've got a phobia of snakes, do not watch it. Uh, Even if you haven't, (laughs) you you probably will do after seeing it. But this iguana basically uh, has hundreds of snakes. Um, Sorry, I'll take take it off in a second. But hundreds of snakes going for it. Absolutely uh, amazing footage to see. But it's not when you're the iguana, is it? It's not when you're on the receiving end of it. And that's where God's people find themselves. They're sent, uh, these snakes bite them, and they start to die. But God has mercy on the people. He says this, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. I mean, you might think to yourself, that is a peculiar antivenom, isn't it? It's not in a syringe or a tablet. It's by looking at this snake on a pole. And Jesus takes that very image and applies it to him. Have a look at verse 14 again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, life, it comes not by looking at a snake on a pole, by looking at Jesus held up on a cross. Now, it's not that the snake was particularly magic or anything like that, but it, it symbolized... At the people's belief in God's promise to show mercy. And so it is with Jesus that his promise to show us mercy is focused in Jesus. And as people turn to him, they are forgiven. Now, what's this got to do with Nicodemus's question, how do we be born again? Well, this is the answer, isn't it? It shows us that the answer is not found in us. It's not found in us striving to be better, trying to tick the religious uh, checklist. See, the answer to that question, how can you be born again, is you can't. You're in a hole that you can't get out of. You're just like like the people uh, cursed by the snakes, unable to save themselves. But the wonderful thing is, God hasn't left us in that situation because he sent his son. See, we are like the iguana, we face a predicament so big, but God gives us his son that we may be forgiven, that we may be granted life. Now, it took a long time for me to get this as a Christian. I, I looked at the Bible for a good couple of years before I got this, because I assumed that being a Christian was about trying to do the right thing, trying to commit to a church, trying to be a bit kinder to people and of course they're all good things but as I looked at the Bible I saw that actually I was spiritually bankrupt that I could do nothing myself see I was so out of sync with my creator the problem ran so deep that no amount of religion or church could change that but then people showed me that God had done it for me that God had sent his son, and my job was not to seek to achieve what I should just take and believe. Now, we might ask ourselves the question, okay, that's the problem, that's the solution, but why should I be bothered by that? I mean, life's going along pretty merrily. Why should this change me? Well, thirdly and finally, we see the reason for this, and uh, this third point is much shorter. See, the passage finishes us uh, by showing us why this matters so much. See, sentence 16 onwards is a comment from John, the author. And um, it's a bit like those slow motion action replays in sports matches where um, it shows us the moment in all different angles. And that's what John's doing here. He's showing us what Jesus has said and why it matters so much. And verse 16 is probably the candidate for the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it's a wonderful verse, isn't it? But but notice there's a sting in the tail, because it assumes that without this, we are perishing. Now, today's Mother's Day, and I'm sure lots of mothers will be bought lots of Flowers, but the thing is about flowers—we know they look wonderful, don't they, for a day or two or three? But sooner or later, they're going to be put in the garden waste. They wilt, they start to smell, and they're thrown out within a week. And so it is with us all. We look wonderful, well, at least some of us do. We achieve wonderful things. We have wonderful memories. But like the flowers, we too have an expiry date. But the perishing here has an even deeper meaning. See, look at verse 18. It uses this word, uh, condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, to be condemned means to be cut off from our Creator. Like the flowers, they look alive, but they've been cut off from their life source. And Jesus says that perishing doesn't just stop with this life. It means to be cut off from our maker forever. But here's the thing, God doesn't leave us facing that sort of condemnation. He acts to save us. He loves a world that doesn't love him. He sends his son into a world that doesn't recognize him. See, because of his love, He doesn't just chuck the rule book at you. He doesn't bring down his fist in condemnation. He opens his arms of love on the cross of his son. I love the chorus in that Black Eyed Peas song. Father, Father, uh, help us, give some guidance from above. Where is the love? But the thing is, there has been some guidance from above. Or rather, there's been a person from above, hasn't there? And We ask that question, where is the love? And God's answer has come to us. The answer is, look at my son and look at what he's done. See, as you look at the cross, you see the solution to all that is broken in our world. Where God opens his arms of mercy, where he shows his love to us so that you and me need not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the big question is, how do we respond to that sort of love? And I just want to finish by giving us to turn uh, to the end of this gospel. It's on page 92, because there's a wonderful little detail here in John's gospel on page 92. Nicodemus pops up again. Have a look at what's said about him in verse 39. After Jesus' death, this is, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. See, here's Nicodemus, the one who got a a rebuke from Jesus, who was wavering at what he thought. Now at the moment of Jesus' death, preparing his body, nailing his colors to the mast. And Nicodemus went from seeing Jesus as an impressive person to see in him as his savior. And the question for all of us is do we see the same? I think we're finished there, John. And um
2: we're now, time for a bit of a QA. I get to grill Rob uh, about everything he's been talking about. We've got some good, uh, a couple of questions here. So um, I'll start with this one, Rob. God telling Moses to make a bronze snake. Uh, to heal them from the snake, could this, be, uh, could this possibly be mistaken for an idol? How do we tell if there is something in our life that uh, we think is from God but isn't? Which is a great question.
1: Yeah. Um, interestingly, it does, um, in fact, turn into an idol. So a bit later on, uh, Josiah, I think it is, the king, um, destroys it because the people have got really fixated on it. Um, and... Uh, and and treat it as an idol. So, interestingly, um, something that's good and from God actually went beyond its intended purpose and uh, became destructive to the people. So, um, uh, someone could tell me where that's found, but uh, you can look that up uh, to read a bit more. Um, how do we tell if something is uh, mistaken for an idol? Um, I'm not quite sure. Unless you can help me out, John, I'm not quite sure what we. What the question is getting out there, but I but, suppose um, you
2: know, I would imagine it is in those moments when you look to life and you're like, okay, you're like God, what are you telling me here? Mm-hmm. Or there's something that you feel is really important. Um, but it's how do how do you tell whether that's something from God or not from God? I mean, feel free anyone to shout no, out no, that's you think fine. that's wrong. That's fine. But I yeah, think that, um
1: I think the thing I'd say about that is uh yeah i don't know what i would say about that come and talk to me afterwards sorry (laughs) i'm not sure i get the question i don't want to give it a go without messing up so okay yeah i can't think how i could put that better no that's fine that's fine (laughs) everything's from god everything's um to be received with thanksgiving i mean i i
2: I suppose fundamentally saying look to the cross and look to the gospel message is always the most important thing so then if there's something in your life that you feel is important and maybe God's put this like it's been a, a, a period of suffering, but you feel like, oh, actually, to come out the other side of this, I need to, this is what God's asking me to look yeah, at, yeah, to yeah. focus on. But it's actually, if that's in conflict in any way with that, with the, this message, yes. then, yeah,
1: that yes. would be. Yes, that's very helpful. Thank you, John. Thank um, you. Come and speak to me afterwards if you've asked that question. I'm...
2: Yeah, so a, a couple of questions on a similar theme here. In fact, a few on a similar theme, which are great questions. God telling my, oh, sorry, no, that's the one I just said. Um, <laughs> I know in my head that I'm born again, um, as a Christian, but it doesn't sometimes feel like that. So how can I feel more what I know to be true? How can I feel more
1: what I know to be true? Mm. Yeah, and I, I really sympathize with that because it feels, it feels like nothing's actually happened. We've not been zapped. None of us walk around with a halo on our heads. Uh, we can't tell that we've been changed um, in that sense. Um, But then there are a lot of things that change us. Um, I was just thinking about the vaccine. Um, I didn't do anything to contribute to the vaccine. I didn't do any research. I didn't pay for it at all. Um, The the most I did was rolled up my sleeve and um, sat there for 15 minutes afterwards and didn't (laughs) faint. Um, That's pretty much it. All I did was accepting this thing was gonna help me. And uh, having just had COVID, I can tell you it does. But um, do you get the kind of image? It's not that actually the work hasn't been done by me. My job is just to to receive it, but it has changed in a small way um, my life um, for the better. And I guess it's that sort of sense. Actually, there can be things that happen in history that actually have um, implications uh, for us that change us, even though um, we may not feel that um, constantly. Uh, The other thing to say is, I think, um, read on in John's gospel, because Jesus doesn't just say there's this sort of truth over here, and then there's you over here. Actually, he talks about his spirit uh, being with us, and he talks about him by his spirit being with us, and uh, talks about what it means to to live life uh, in Christ as well. So um, I won't say much more now, but it's well worth looking through John's gospel, because Jesus says to his disciples, I won't leave you as orphans, and uh, shows them what it means to to walk with him Mm. as well.
2: Great. Okay. And then, yeah, I guess on a similar theme, what does it look like to be looking at Jesus? I think this bounces around the same two themes that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, Yeah, really good question. So um, it means, uh, in another way, to believe. So, as I said, with the snake on the pole, it wasn't that there was some sort of magical force in the snake but it was a sign that people were trusting God for his salvation. So if you had been bitten by a snake and thought, oh, stuff it, I'm not going to look at the pole, it was a way of saying, actually, I'm not going to trust God's um, solution to my problems. Uh, and when we look at Jesus, it's, it's like that. It's not, um, we, we, are, we are acknowledging and trusting that God's um, provision of his son is enough uh, to save us so that's what we're doing when we're looking at jesus um do you want me to say more on that no i think i actually answered the moses poll question as well to be honest okay yeah
2: brilliant but it's um, worth
1: just saying uh, looking at jesus isn't just okay i looked at him now i'm going to crack on my life there's a sense in which actually belief is everyday belief it's growing belief and again john's gospel shows us what a true lasting belief looks like and it gets quite uncomfortable in places Yeah. Yeah.
2: And actually, I think that then leads us really nicely into the the most voted for question. Um, I find it hard to simply believe. I feel like I need to do something. There must be something more I can do. How do I just believe?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll just let you into a little bit of my story. I took two years to get this point. I got the gospel conceptually that Jesus had done everything for me, but I thought, yeah, well, there must be a catch here. There must be a a thing I need to do, of course it does. And um, I don't know if I've told you this, but there's a, there was a minister at the church I was at, and um, he, he gave me a quid and said, "Rob, have that." And I said, "Oh, I get your point. You're giving me a pound. Um, you're trying to illustrate to me that you've given me something for free. Okay, get the point. Have your quid back." And uh, he said, "No, I want you to have it. It's a gift." I'm not going to do this tonight with anyone, Thank <laughs> yeah, Robbie. But he said, have, have the pound. You know, it's your gift. You keep it. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get it. You know, Jesus died for me and all that. And um, it became a little argument. And anyway, I, I kept the quid. And then I managed to sort of slip it under my dinner plate and, and ran out of the church and sort of said, oh, I get your point, great illustration, but your pound's down there. Um, and he chased me out onto the road and gave it. He said, no, take it and give it back to me when you've understood what I'm telling you. And uh, I spent it. Uh, because it just took, that, it was so difficult to con, to conceive that actually someone would have done something for me like that. And um, I do get that it is hard to simply believe. Now, belief isn't simple. It's not that we, belief doesn't mean just we assent to some truths and then carry on with our lives. Belief's hard, and Jesus shows us through this gospel. We're going to see over the next couple of weeks that, uh, what belief looks like. Um, but belief is, um, is about trusting what jesus has done full stop um, it is possible to be very religious and to deny jesus uh, because if we think we can do it ourselves that is another way of saying to god actually i don't want the solution you've sent me um, so actually to yeah i think i'll i think, I that's think probably yeah. enough.
2: and we still we see i guess we see that in nicodemus don't we in what yeah. way well just in that he's extraordinary like you say he's what did you call him the superman of the religious world and yeah, yeah yeah it's god's right in front of him and he doesn't he doesn't realize exactly it. yeah 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 Great. brilliant thanks rob off the hook thanks rob